Welcome back. We are in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. And in a moment, we'll study in Matthew 5, 32 to 37, about marriage and taking oaths. Let me remind you what's happening here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not simply explaining the law of Moses, and this is not a contrast between the old law and the new. This is a contrast between the teachings and interpretations of the scribes and Pharisees and Christ's law. This is an exposure of the inadequacy and hollowness of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. In this section, the Lord explains a religion or genuine righteousness that begins on the inside, in the heart. You see, the theme of this passage is set in Matthew 5 and verse 20. Jesus said to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how is it that the righteousness of Christ's disciples exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? We have the answer to that. We learn how in this section. And there are about six blocks of instruction here. The scribes and Pharisees said, you shall not murder. Jesus said, you must be concerned about the anger that becomes the incentive for the act of homicide. The scribes and Pharisees said, think whatever you want to think and fool around all you want to, just don't go all the way. That's what they meant when they said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, you must be concerned with rooting out and killing those evil desires and lustful looks that lead to the act. That brings us now to a related matter concerning marriage in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. This is not everything that could be said from the New Testament on the subject, but here's what Jesus said in this context, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I want to emphasize this is not a complete discourse about everything that could be said about marriage or divorce or remarriage. It is really a point that is tagged onto what Jesus had just said about adultery in the heart. And this goes directly to the sanctity of marriage. And in this regard, the Pharisees had failed again. They didn't go deep enough. Though they would quote the law, they missed the point of it by a thousand miles. The law of Moses had permitted divorce for some unseemly thing, according to Deuteronomy 24. Adultery was punished by the death penalty under Moses' law. 
But if your wife became involved in some unseemly thing or some form of lasciviousness short of the act of adultery, the Jewish husband could put her away. He didn't have to, but he could. Jesus describes this teaching over in Matthew 19, verse 8, as a concession. That is something permitted due to Israel's hardness of heart. <clears throat> it was not God's original plan. It was something he put up with and regulated for a time. Now, the Pharisees came along. And the spin they put on Deuteronomy 24 was, they said it was commanded that you could divorce for any unpleasant thing. All you must do is file the proper papers, the divorce certificate. The Pharisees didn't see any large moral principle. They didn't factor in the sanctity of marriage and the awful injustice that women suffered. They just turned the whole thing into a simple legal procedure involving paperwork. Their attitude was, hey, if, if you're not pleased with your wife, if there's something unpleasant in her, just follow the proper procedure, give her a writing of divorcement, file the proper paperwork, and find another wife. And I don't need to tell you, the same kind of attitude prevails today in our society. It happens all the time. It seems like people get married to divorce, and they divorce to get married again, over and over. The Pharisees had wholly misconstrued and misapplied the law of Moses, and people today have no regard for God's original law of marriage. So if they want to change wives, they find an attorney and file the proper papers. What Jesus taught is the law of God. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife <clears throat> except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. However different this teaching may be from the world, however agonizing this teaching may be for us, there is no place for the true disciple to hide from this teaching and the implications of it. Jesus is concerned with moral principle, not just procedure or paperwork. Jesus calls for us to respect the sanctity of marriage, and he gives just the one exception. Over in Matthew 19, his statement is, What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Finally, let me say, it is evident that Jesus, in his answer to the Pharisees, has traveled back beyond Deuteronomy, even properly understood. Jesus goes all the way back to God's will from the beginning. This is clear when you compare Matthew 5.32 with Matthew 19.1-9. So again, we are impressed by the fact the Pharisees' system of religion, though they quoted the law, the Pharisees' system of religion didn't go deep enough. While they quoted the law of Moses, they came up with interpretations suited to their desires, 
and therefore made void the word of God by their tradition. One of my favorite writers on the subject of the Sermon on the Mount, Paul Earnhardt, he said their obsession with legal niceties to the complete disregard of moral principle is again revealed. The Pharisees viewed divorce as a right and saw the words of Moses as a command rather than a permissive allowance. By so doing, they had wholly misapprehended the law and its purpose. Here's something else the scribes and Pharisees said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Here's the next paragraph. Matthew 5, I'm continuing at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, that sounds good. That seems to be right teaching on the subject of integrity and honesty. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. The scribes and Pharisees would say this, and while this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament, perhaps it is an allusion to passages like Exodus 20 and verse 7, Leviticus 19, 12, Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 24. In Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Leviticus 19, 12, and you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Deuteronomy 30 and verse 2 might have been cited by the scribes and Pharisees. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, the Old Testament said, if you make a vow or promise to the Lord, that is permitted, but you had better be certain that you keep it. You can bind yourself to integrity by an oath, invoking the name of the Lord, but you need to understand the seriousness of that oath and be sure you speak the truth. <coughs> now, that seems pretty simple and straightforward. What the old law said, calling for integrity in promises and in speech. And if you invoke the name of the Lord, you added another dimension of gravity or consequence to your word. That seems straightforward in the Old Testament. Do you suppose this simple teaching on integrity and respect for God is just exactly 
what the scribes and Pharisees taught? No. Here they come again with their pencils. The scribes and Pharisees took what God's law said in the Old Testament, and then they put their own spin on it. They would read the old law and then say, now let us tell you how you apply that. And they would start writing page after page. Here's what they did with the teaching of the Old Testament about oaths and vows. These men, these self-appointed religious policemen, built up an entire legalistic system, a clever little code. They came up with little rules like this. If you swear by Jerusalem, you are not bound by your vow. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, you must keep that vow. Isn't that neat? You know what it reminds me of? Something we did as kids back when I was growing up in the 50s. You promise something or you say something, but you cross your fingers so you, you do not have to follow through. You're not bound by it. There was a little girl in our neighborhood, and nobody ever believed anything she said because her eyes were crossed. Well, that all sounds silly, and we laugh about what kids do, but the scribes and Pharisees were grown men, and they developed this whole system of deception. So by the time Jesus came, the use of vows and oaths had degenerated into a whole system or a code of rules to permit dishonesty. So what do we expect Jesus to say? Jesus teaches against all these crafty little codes and rules. And he simply says, you ought to tell the truth. Jesus says, don't swear at all with these insidious rules. Just tell the truth. He doesn't say you should never make a promise. He doesn't teach that we cannot ever invoke the Lord's name. Paul did in 2 Corinthians 1.23 and Galatians 1 verse 20. What Jesus targets is the silly games the Jews were playing to get out of telling the truth. Now, I'm going to give you a very good commentary on this. I want you to notice in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus exposes all the error of the scribes and Pharisees, this is made very clear. Matthew 23, I'm going to start at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold or the temple that has been made or that has made the gold sacred. Verse 18, Matthew 23. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind man, for which is greater the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it 
and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Do you see what the Jews were doing? Do you understand how detestable this was to the Lord? Think about this. Here in Matthew 5, 33 to 37, Jesus is saying, don't play games. Just tell the truth. Let me tell you a story. Back in the 18th century, when King Frederick II of Prussia visited a Berlin prison, the custom was one inmate after another tried to convince the monarch of his innocence. They would stand in line. One by one, they told the king they were unjustly accused, being punished for crimes they never committed. But there was this one man sitting quietly over in the corner while all the others were telling their lengthy, complicated stories. And King, <coughs> king Frederick went over to the man and asked why he was in prison. Armed robbery, your honor. The king said, were you guilty? Yes, sir, he answered. No excuses, no mitigating circumstances, just a confession of wrongdoing. The king looked to the guard and said, release this guilty man. I don't want him corrupting all these innocent people. Jesus just wants us to tell the truth, whatever the truth is. Two important lessons for us today and for all future generations. The sanctity of marriage. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's God's law of marriage. And Jesus grants only the one exception. And then the second lesson is very simple. Tell the truth. I want to conclude with this other quote from my favorite writer on the Sermon on the Mount, Paul Earnhardt. The law's approach to oaths was similar to its approach to divorce. The Mosaic Covenant did not ordain divorce, but sought to regulate and restrain what was already prevalent. Correspondingly, the law did not originate oaths or command Israel to swear, but directed that any oaths taken should be by the name of God and must not be false. But these restrictions were never intended to be understood as permission to lie when not under oath. God's hatred of all lies is abundantly clear in the Old Testament. Thank you for being with us during this video class. These are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas.